You are listening to a White Phosphorus Pictures podcast. Broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico, I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. Did you hear that? I heard that. What was it? Could be a lot of things. Yeah? The coyote. There aren't any coyotes in England. The Hound of the Baskervilles? Pecos Bill? Heathcliff. Heathcliff didn't howl. No, but he was on the moors. <laughs> it's a full moon. Beware, Beware the, the moon. moon and stick to the road. Oops. Oh, shit, David. What is that? I don't know. Come on. Come on, where? Anywhere. I think we should just keep moving. It's in front of us. You think it's a dog? Oh, shit. What is it? It's a sheepdog or something. Come on, turn slowly. Let's walk away. That was a suspenseful and ultimately terrifying scene from my all-time favorite werewolf movie and one of the best motion pictures ever made, An American Werewolf in London, directed by John Landis. The movie's innovative transformation scenes won artist Rick Baker an Academy Award in 1981 for Best Makeup. But with all its natural humor, an American werewolf in London dared to portray the fictional concept of damnation in the form of a shape-shifting, bloodthirsty devil dog as real. Throughout history and all over the world, there have been similar cases reported, and even in recent years, more people than ever assert that what you see in the movies is not fiction. Tonight's guest claims to have witnessed one of these legendary monsters and we'll hear her story after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. You are listening to the Off to the Witch podcast, where we explore that bizarre borderline between fiction and reality and all subjects arcane. Journey over to my YouTube channel and subscribe now at youtube.com slash at off to the witch for a variety of extras and special features, including the off to the witch mini docs with further insights on many of the latest episodes, as well as previews and behind the scenes of my forthcoming investigative series off to the witch presents, as well as the anniversary edition of my motion picture documentary Montauk Chronicles and follow us on social media. All links are available at linktree.com slash garitano7, G-A-R-E-T-A-N-O-7. And stay tuned for more Off to the Witch. Whenever the moon is full, it's out there, in the shadows, in the fog, watching, 
and waiting to strike. Now, from the master of mystery and suspense, Stephen King's Silver Bullet, the last glimmering hope. Stephen King's Silver Bullet, from Paramount Pictures, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. off to the witch i'm your host christopher garitano and tonight we not only have our main guest but also an annex story from a previous guest that's apropos to the subject at hand so we'll begin with a story from monica frank rollins regarding one dark night when she witnessed what only can be described as a werewolf so i saw a dog man for lack of a better term right and i saw it in the i think i might have told you i saw it in the middle of dallas i saw it in the middle of dallas of all the places i am in the woods so much in my life and i see a bleeding werewolf in a very very wealthy section of dallas in the middle of the night so what was happening was I was going to pick my daughter up from work. It was like 11, 11.30 at night. And I take a shortcut through this, you know, pretty wealthy neighborhood. They're estates, they have acreage, right? And as I'm turning onto this residential street off of Northwest Highway, which is a pretty heavily traveled road, and I'm turning onto this quiet residential street, there's hardly any street lights here. And there's only one street light for a good while. And it is maybe, I'm very bad with distance. It's maybe 30 yards down the road when you initially turn off. And then it's, there's no other light except for porch lights, you know, and house lights. And as you know, I made the turn and I'm just, starting to speed up and I see movement to my right. Right. And these yards are very long and the houses are set down where you you can maybe see the roof line of some, there's a Creek back there and I see movement, you know, the street lights kind of illuminating the area generally. And I, and I think it's a dog running towards me. Right. And I, I take my foot off the accelerator because the trajectory is bringing, you know, the dog would intersect with me. So I don't really lay on the accelerator and um, I start to turn my head and the thing changes direction and it starts, you know, instead of coming towards the front of my car, it changes towards coming towards the side of my car. And I'm thinking, oh God, it's, you know, it's going to run into my car. It's like, you know, the dog's going to hit me. So I'm starting to turn my head. I'm still not going, but maybe 10 miles an hour. And as I'm turning my head, um, I start to get this feeling. It's like an overwhelming feeling of 
malice, evil, dread. I don't know what to, I've never felt that before ever. You know, I've sat on dirt roads in the middle of nowhere in the dark by myself, you know, and not felt weird. This was like a concentrated, like evil. I mean, I, I can't describe it otherwise. Like it was like a, like concentrated, malicious, like evil. And I'm thinking, holy, what is, and I'm turning my head and as it starts getting closer, it's moving faster now. And instead of running, it starts bounding, like hopping. And I'm thinking, what in the hell? And it, as it's hopping and getting closer, it's hopping higher. And I'm thinking, what the hell is this? And it lands maybe, maybe 15 feet from my car, 10 feet from my car. And it was Christmas time. And I remember this so clearly. This, this yard had this joy, like, like lawn ornament. And it was very tall. And it was, you know, stacked, J-O-Y. And, and this thing landed next to it. And when it landed, it landed like in a, like a runner stance or a football stance, you know, where it had one hand on the ground and one arm up in the air. And then it put its arm down and it, it didn't stand up fully. And then it ducked back down and I'm looking and the whole time I've got this malicious, like just evil feeling, like overcoming me. This thought in my mind is like, Yo, you know what that is because I'm turning my head to look right at it. And my mind is saying, don't look right at it. Don't look right at it. Don't look it in the eye. You're, you can't handle this. You, you cannot unsee this. You know what that is. And it, it was the craziest thing. It was the craziest thing. And I'm looking like at its feet. I'm looking like I'm looking everywhere, but in its eyes because this voice in my head is like, do not look right at it. You cannot, like, you can't handle, like you will go nuts. You cannot handle that. And I remember the light backlighting it. I remember the fine hairs on it. I remember it had like a sloped neck, like a hyena. I remember it snout. It was massive. And it didn't, like I said, it didn't fully stand up. It, you know, it put its arm down, kind of went to stand, like stand up. I, in hunchback down, but when it hunched back down, it was looking at me through the passenger side window. And remember, I'm moving slow. I hadn't hit the accelerator yet. And it's just following me, looking at me through the window until I just finally get my shit together and I slam on the gas and just gun it down the street and the whole time I, I'm scared. I'm terrified, just terrified. And I, I'm afraid to look in the rearview mirror because I'm convinced it's chasing me. And I'm also convinced I'm going to feel it jump onto the back of my car at any moment. And I'm thinking they're going to find my car on the side of the road with the windows broken out and there's going to be blood everywhere. And I'm going to be gone and nobody's going to know what the hell happened because there are no street lights at this point. I'm in the dark area of the residential neighborhood and I, and there are stop signs, you know, periodically I blew through every single stop sign. My daughter's work was at the other end of this road. 
I pulled into the parking lot, turned around to wait for her to where I'm facing the entrance to this road. And I'm thinking, I'm going to see this thing walk out. Well, I'm sitting here waiting for my daughter to get out. I'm shaking. I was terrified. We took the long way home that night. And I refused to drive that way again for a long, long time. But it happened like it happened in the city limits. It happened in Dallas. And it sounds crazy. And, you know, I used to go running at night and I couldn't do it anymore because I'd every scrape of leaf in the wind, I would think it's that thing. You know, I was terrified. And the funny thing is that six months later, I had this camping trip with a bunch of people up in the mountains in uh, Washington state in, you know, in the middle of nowhere, didn't bother me, wasn't scared there, scared to go running in my neighborhood, thinking that there's a werewolf hiding in the bushes, but I wasn't scared out in the woods. So <laughs> it, it sounds insane. Welcome back again. And I'd now like to introduce tonight's main guest, Bettina Moss, who claims to have experienced the supernatural all of her life. But it wasn't until recent years that a large being approached her as she was exiting her car one dark night. Bettina travels around the U.S. sharing her stories as well as on her own podcast. But tonight she's here to talk to us. So here's my interview with Bettina Moss. Hello, my name is Bettina Moss, and I am a dogman eyewitness. I'm a dogman investigator, and I interview people about their dogman encounters on my show, The Paranormal Encounters uh, with B. Moss. I run a Facebook group with the same name. I got into, I'm from um, Limestone County, Alabama, and that is where I had my first dog man sighting. A, a question I usually ask is when you were a kid, were you exposed to any werewolf movies? Because I know like you know, throughout the 80s, they were very popular and I was exposed to them constantly. But when I was a kid, I believed they existed, you know, just because it was like, wow. You know, it really scared me, and I was reading about them in books. Did you have books like that, or was there a particular movie you watched that kind of sparked your interest before your encounter? No. Um, early on, I had more. I've always believed in something as far as different things. Um, when it came to either paranormal or cryptids, not so much maybe Bigfoot. Um, I believe as far as aliens were concerned, back then I used to think ghosts and stuff like that were real. And I'm not saying that there's not apparitions and stuff like that. I just have a different belief on what they are. Um, you know, and I don't like to, you know, be pushed out there to make people feel like I'm trying to believe that, uh, make other people feel like my beliefs are their beliefs. And I've kind of gotten into that mode lately, but I kind of, started having my first experiences as far as the paranormal concern back when I was about 14. Um, I don't know if you feel like the paranormal is aliens or UFOs involved in that. I do. I think it's all in one place. Mm -hmm. So when you were 14, you had a, and okay. And, and I usually ask this a lot because I'm curious, you know, because there's that fine line between fiction and reality. So when you were 14, before you had this encounter you're about to tell me about, um, were you watching any kind of sci-fi movies 
horror films, anything like that. And I'm not trying to say it was brought on by that. I'm just curious as to what reference you had in your head at the time when you had this experience. So before my encounter or um, my first time seeing a UFO or later years, I guess if I want to start, let me just start from the beginning. So growing up as a child, I remember seeing um, shows like Sightings, Unsolved Mysteries and stuff like that would be on TV. There was um, UFO Files, little TV shows and stuff like that. At the National Enquirer back then, um, I think that's what it was, National Enquirer, one of those magazines and stuff like that where they used to make fun of Bigfoot sightings or encounters. Right. And so when you have stuff like that going on, these things, I, I, they've always been something that I've found of interest. They would talk about the Bermuda Triangle or portals. So when it came to that, um, I already somewhat had a belief, I think, even before seeing those things in those magazines or on those shows. I don't know what it is. I've always somewhat been sensitive, I guess, to spirits or different things like that or the unknown. It's just a knowing, an inner knowing that these things exist. It was never something that I questioned. It just was. Does that make sense? It does. It makes a lot of sense to me. I, I felt the same. Can you take me back to that night um, or that day that you had the experience you're about to tell me, if you could take me in slowly? Because um, I want to I wanna feel like I'm there. So at 14 years old, like I already believed for several years that uh, UFOs were real, aliens and stuff like that. I believe there were life from other planets since that time I've had uh, a change of heart or change of mind about what I feel that they are now. But um, the other day that my sister called me to come look outside, she was at home. We were both at my parents' home. I was 14 years old at that time. And I actually think I was inside watching... Uh, unsolved mysteries of one of those shows like that at that time i'm just laying on the couch and she comes in there to tell me hey tina come outside you've got to see this real quick come outside and, and i said to her well what is it i don't feel like getting up and watching this show right now she's like no come on you got to see this so i get outside when i get outside of the house that's when i saw a ufo like literally hovering hovering just a few feet above this house across the street from my parents' house. And at this time, when I'm outside looking at this, my sister's out there, my mom and dad, they come outside, they're looking at it. Uh, the other neighbors that lived on that end of the neighborhood, they're outside standing in the middle of the road also, like looking at this. And we stood out there, I don't know, for probably about 10 or 15 minutes looking at this thing. It's just hovering above the neighbor's house. The UFO was low enough that if you were to have stepped, you would have stepped on, I guess, took a ladder and climbed on top of the house, you could actually throw a rock at it. That's how, that's actually how low it was above this house. Um, it looks like the typical original looking, I guess, UFO was, was rounded with kind of a dome shape on top. It had red and green lights uh, strobing around the side of it. When I say strobing, it or constantly circling it constantly circling the craft and uh, the craft didn't have it's hard to explain it but it didn't so much look metallic it looked more luminescent i guess if, 
I could explain it in the best way possible. Maybe it was metallic, I don't know, but it was lit. It was completely lit up. That's amazing. And, and just to clarify, you weren't the only person seeing it. Your your sister saw it, and who mm-hmm. else? My sister, my mother, my father. Um, you see about four or five other neighbors that were actually standing outside, too, that, were, that lived on that end of the neighborhood, because the end of the neighborhood that my parents lived on was in a cul-de-sac. So the people on that end of the neighborhood actually saw the thing. It was low enough for everybody to make the determination that it wasn't a plane, that it wasn't a helicopter. There was no sound coming from it at all. Um, you could see that it wasn't a blimp or a weather balloon or anything like that. Phone calls were made to Redstone Arsenal military base to see if they had any different craft out or doing any um, tests or anything like that. Phone calls were made to Huntsville International Airport to see if they had anything going on. And everybody pretty much was like, no, we we don't have anything going on out here. Very interesting. Um, but to give you the size of it, it was about the size of um, a Volkswagen Beetle. And that's, I mean, I was able to determine that size because it was basically that low above that house. So that was my first sighting uh, of a UFO ever. Wow. And that must have changed you to actually see it is is one thing. You know, when we're impressed by these shows, I know those shows were very spooky to me as a kid because they didn't um, reveal too much, you know, and left a lot to the imagination because, of course, the people that were making them didn't assume they knew everything about the origins of these things. It was a total mystery. And so at that moment, you must have been scared, correct? I actually wasn't scared. I was intrigued more than anything. I was intrigued. I was excited. I was uh, thinking like, oh my God, like I can't believe I'm actually seeing this right now. I was just so excited. It wasn't even funny. I was really happy about it. I couldn't believe it. And I was like, I felt like I was like the luckiest person in the world being able to see that. See, I guess it depends on what you were impressed by. I mean, I know E.T. had come out in the early 80s and people were hoping that the aliens would be friendly. For some reason, it it always had kind of a deeper, darker mystery in regard (laughs) to the way I reacted to these things. But I never saw one, so I don't know how it would be to see it in person. That was my first time seeing one, but it wasn't the last. That was the First and only time that I've ever seen one up close and personal like that, though. But that particular day, like, as, you know, we're standing out there, you have, um, you know, a lot of people out there trying to talk to each other, trying to figure out what it was, exchanging ideas, questioning each other with, what do you think it is? Or no, what do you think it is? I think it's this. Or different people had different things. But at the end of the day, everybody was intrigued and they all knew that what they were seeing was strange. Um. A guy comes pulling up in the neighborhood out of nowhere, stops the stop sign. He's in a pickup truck, slams on brakes, and said he'd been following this UFO around for over 30 minutes. Um, and it had been hovering above his house. Like I said, there was no sound from it. I had asked my father if he would go inside and get the camcorder. Because back then, like at this time in the 90s, we didn't have the phones that we have today. Like if we did, that would probably been one of the greatest up close and personal UFO videos ever. But he never would go in and get the camera 
and by the time a neighbor went and actually went, went to go get their video camera, it had gone up kind of high in the sky. But we watched it go from being very low above that house to slowly like levitating and going up higher and higher and higher. And then when it got to a certain height, it shot out like at lightning speed up in the sky and then winked out. And that was the end of that first, uh, I guess, UFO sighting. Wow. So that was that must have been confirmation not only to you, but your family, the neighbors, that there was something else going on. And it's, you know, flash forward to now, the whole world, it's been confirmed to the whole world, essentially. But um, now, okay, so you're 14, you have this profound experience. And what was the next step? Were you intrigued to now continue to research? Did you get your hands on every book you could? What happened next? The next incident that happened for me, I'm going to say was probably in my early 20s. I'm going to say I was about 23 years old. And that's when I had the, when sleep paralysis started. Um, some people call it the old hag or different things or nightmares. You have different areas of that. So night terrors. Um, that started when I was about 23 years old. I was telling you about, um, I watched you. At the conference, I saw when you had on your conference or your your presentation, you had a lady on there that was talking, and she was talking about 3 a.m., the witching hour, and I think she mentioned something about sleep paralysis, or, or I don't know if she mentioned the shadow man or anything like that. I can't remember all the details of it, but I do remember she was talking about the witching hour. I do know that for me, um, a lot of people don't realize that when it comes to sleep paralysis, night terrors, lucid dreaming, all of those things, what people think, and this may be, I'm not going to say this is just an opinion. This is what I know from my own personal experience and from watching documentaries and hearing other people talk about their experiences also with the shadow man, sleep paralysis, um, astral projection, and all of those things like that. When you go to sleep at night, you are experiencing things that what we think is in the scientific world, they call it sleep paralysis, hypnopompic and hypnagogic uh, hallucinations, which they say that your mind creates this barrier, um, for lack of a better word, or a protection level where it keeps you from hurting yourself at night when you go to sleep when you're having dreams. When you're in REM sleep, it keeps you from it gets you to a point where you're paralyzed, where you can't move, you can't talk, you can't do anything. I disagree with that for various reasons. They say in that, uh, in those hallucinogenic states, that because you can't move, your body puts you, your mind puts you in a state where you think that there's something evil in the room or something nefarious in the room with you because you can't move. And so it creates this state of fear. Um, that state of fear that's created, that actually, from my perspective and from several other people who deal with sleep paralysis, for me, that fear is what makes your mind and your body, your being, it's what makes you aware that there's another presence in the room. Once you're aware that there's another spirit or another presence in the room, then that is what, from that point on, causes that fear. Once you are... Once you realize and once you're aware that there's something else in the room with you, then at that moment, that's what takes your mind into that fight or flight um, 
defense mode to where you are wandering at that point. Am I awake? Am I asleep? Am I having a dream? And just like any other time that I've had a nightmare or bad bad dream, I've always been able to wake up and end the dream. Like, I don't like where this is going. You're able to wake up. It's like when you have to use the bathroom at night, you're able to wake up. Your body lets you know you've got to go to the bathroom, but you're still able to move. You're still able to get up. But during sleep paralysis, once you wake up, whether it's in your mind before you actually try to open your eyes and get up out of the bed, you're aware that there's another presence in the room with you. That feeling, that vibration that is giving off, that is projecting towards you, you can feel that. It's almost the same as if you're laying in the bed and there's another person in the room with you. But that person, if you're sleeping, laying on your back, if they hover a few inches away from your face or if they stand over you long enough, you can feel the presence of somebody standing there. You can feel that. So what people don't. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. So how much more would you be able to feel that if it's a spirit? See, I've had that experience. It's it's very unique, like you're saying. You know, I, I it's uh, it's very different than having a nightmare. And you do feel like an extreme uh, sense of dread. That's the best way I can describe it. I've had it a few times and it did feel like almost instinctively, like there's something else there. Absolutely. And you can feel the emotions that it's given off. So what people don't think about is that in my uh, rationale that I've come to with it when it comes to sleep paralysis, and I will go into some of those experiences that I've had with this from my first one and give several others after the fact. But from what I've noticed about it is that what a lot of people don't realize is that we're, we are spiritual beings having a human experience or having a physical experience. The difference between us and the spirits or entities that show up during sleep paralysis, whether it is an alien or gray or draconian or reptilian type being, whether it shows up as a demon or some type of apparition or the ones that show up that look like an old hag. Or if any of you have seen the movie The Grudge, um, The Grudge or there's another movie like that, too. I think it's called The Ring. You've seen that movie. Or even uh, the one of the ones that I saw looked exactly like the jackal from 13 Ghosts, except for take the cage out from around its head. That might- Can you take me back to mm-hmm. one of the nights where, and I know it's sometimes hard to talk about these things because you feel like maybe it could induce another situation, mm-hmm. but are you comfortable telling me about one particular experience? Yes, um, because it's okay. daytime right now. I feel comfortable talking about it. So- my first ever experience with sleep paralysis started when I was about 23, about 23 years old. I was still living at home with my parents at the time. And that night before I went to sleep, I was laying on the couch um, watching TV. I don't remember what I was watching, but I was laying there. And um, I started to hear scratching on the wall. My parents had those old um I guess you would call it paneling, like the old fake wood, but it was that cheap looking wood that they had like back in the 80s, 70s and 80s on the wall. I could hear scratching, which sounded like uh, claws or long fingernails on paneling on the wood. And it was scratching. And so, you know, I kept laying there on the couch and I heard this, but you know how your mind tries to rationalize and say, well, maybe it's electronic buzz of the computer or some of the other, I mean, the refrigerator or some of the other electronics that were in the room. 
And I just kept laying there and then it kept going, kept hearing the scratching and kept hearing it over and over, kept laying there. And this, this is happening. My heart's beating fast. I hadn't gone to sleep yet at this point. I'm still wide awake. Kept laying there. Finally, I got up to try to make myself feel better and not be so worried about it anymore. I got up, went to the kitchen. There's nothing going on in the kitchen um, that could explain it. There's nothing going on in the living room, the den where I was at. I guess we call it today a great room. We called it the den back then. There's nothing on the wall. We didn't have a cat or dog in the house. Nothing that should be making that noise at all. Couldn't find anything, but I went back to lay back down on the couch and some point shortly thereafter, I ended up falling asleep. Uh, most of the time when I go to sleep at night, I fall asleep on my back, whether it's on the couch or it's on the bed. It's just most comfortable for me. So I fall asleep on my back. And at some point after I fall asleep, I started to have a dream. I don't remember the details of that dream, but I do know that at one point in the dream, the same scratching sounds that I was hearing on the walls in the room before I went to sleep, started over again within this dream. So I hear this and I start to get afraid. I start to be fearful. I started to think, oh my God, what is that? But I'm within a dream at this point. And, you know, the further the dream goes along, you become aware of okay, him dreaming now. You decided, and I decided I want to wake up. I want to end this dream. I don't like where this is going. So I wanted to wake up. But then that's when I realized I can't wake up as I'm hearing the scratching on the wall. When I realized I couldn't wake up, when I realized I couldn't open my eyes, when I realized that I couldn't talk, I couldn't do anything, that's when I started to have this sensation, this feeling. I could feel um, feelings of hatred, anger, and rage or evil like being projected towards me, like the worst type of anger and rage or demonic type evil that you could possibly feel. You can feel energy or negativity in the room if a person doesn't like you. You can feel it. And people say that there's that feeling that the tension was so strong you cut it with a knife. It was like that, but you have to multiply that so many hundreds of times or thousands of times stronger because now you're dealing with a spirit and maybe a demonic entity at that, that now you can actually feel what anger and hatred and rage feels like and it's being projected all towards you now i'm laying on the couch and i'm aware that there's something not right here i can feel this i can feel that there's something here i can feel something else in the room and what i've come to is that my spirit made me aware and i didn't understand this at the time but later on i came to understand uh, got a deeper understanding of what sleep paralysis really is but I'm aware now that there's something else in the room and I want to wake up and I'm telling myself, wake up, but I can't get up. At this time, the scratching on the wall is still going on. And as the scratching on the wall continues, um, and I'm trying to make my body get up, I'm trying to end it like I would any other dream that I don't like. I couldn't do that. Then all of a sudden, I started to hear footsteps running around the coffee table. My parents had hardwood floors in the lip in the den that I was in, so I could hear footsteps tapping around the uh, coffee table. But one part I left out because I actually forgot to mention this part is that before the footsteps started, once I realized that this wasn't an ordinary dream, once I realized the scratching was going on, what I also realized was that I could see my body laying there on the couch. 
The reason I could see my body laying there on the couch is because at the same time while the sleep paralysis incident was happening or experience was happening, I had an out-of-body experience. I was my back was hovering on the wall of it on the ceiling, looking facing downwards, looking at my body laying on the couch so I could see myself laying on the couch. Everything was exactly like it was before I went to sleep. Now, usually when you have a dream or nightmare, you might dream of yourself. You might dream of people you know or your house or different things, but you don't see everything in great detail like the way it was before you went to sleep that night. I could see myself laying on the couch. I could see the cup that was on the coffee table. I could see the napkin that dropped on the floor, a strand of hair going across my face, um, the blanket that was disheveled around my legs, like at the end of the couch and one pants leg of my sweatpants up to the knee. And everything was in exact detail as it was before I went to sleep. So I'm having an out-of-body experience and I can see everything as it really is in the room at that time. I didn't realize that I was having an out-of-body experience until later, but I could see my body laying there on the couch. At this point, that's when the fear is rising. My heart's beating out of control. I'm scared. I'm telling myself, get up, wake up, wake up, wake up. And I'm screaming this in my head because my mouth, during sleep paralysis, you can't speak. You can't move. You can't do anything. You can't end it like you would a regular dream. And I'm telling myself, get up, wake up. While all this is happening, I started to hear the footsteps running around the coffee table. And in my mind, I just knew. When it gets over here to your body, like at the couch, it's going to start choking you. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, it was invisible, so I never saw the entity that was running around the couch. But it's running, and I can hear it is coming from the end of the top coffee table where my feet are. It's running, and it's getting ready to run around to the side where my head is. And when it got to my body, that's when it started to grab me by my neck and started choking not too long, I don't know how much time passed during this point in time when it started grabbing and choking my neck. Um, I don't know how much time it passed, but my father walked into the room. During this time period, my father was still working at Delphi, um, which is a General Motors company. It used to be called Saginaw General Motors, but it was called Delphi at that time. It changed names a few times. It was General Motors Company. He used to have to be at work at like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. He worked first shift. My parents, the kitchen, so the the setup of the room is that you're in the den and there's a separation between the den and the kitchen. The old saloon doors like they had on those Western movies back in the day, that's the kind of doors that they had that separated the kitchen from the den. I saw the the doors open and I saw... From the ceiling, my spirit was up there hovering up on the ceiling. I saw my father walk in the room and he said, Tina, time to wake up and you got to go to work. Get up before, you, before you're late for work. He turned around and walked back out of the room. And while all this is going on, there's invisible hands around my neck on the couch. I can still feel this even though my spiritual body is on the ceiling. My physical body still has sensations, so I can still feel those hands around my neck. After my father turned and walked around, walked back out of the room and went back to his bedroom, it took a few minutes before that spirit finally released my neck. And it took a few minutes before my actual spirit that's hovering at the ceiling was able to get back into my body. But during this time, after it was able to get back in my body, it still took a few minutes for me to be able to fully come to and come back to myself, regroup, and to sit up on the side of the couch. I sat there for a few minutes just 
in front of the coffee table, sitting up on the edge of the couch, thinking, what in the world just happened to me? I don't understand it. I know that that wasn't an ordinary dream. And I knew it wasn't an ordinary dream because those same scratching sounds that I heard on the walls also went into that dream and started within that dream as well. I knew it was real. I knew that I saw my father walk in that room. I'm sitting there, I'm pondering all this, and I knew it wasn't right, and I was terrified. So I'm sitting there, and I'm not knowing what to make of it, but at the same time, I've got to get up. I've got to go start getting ready for work. But I can't get this out of my mind, so I walk back there to my parents' room, and I knock on the door. My dad opens the door, because I told myself while I was sitting there, you know what, just to ease your mind, go in there to your parents' room right now and see if your dad is actually wearing a red T-shirt and jeans right now. Knock on the door, and my dad opened the door. When he opened the door, like my heart sunk to my chest. And I said, did you just come in there and tell me to wake up because I was going to be late for work? He was like, yeah, because uh, it's getting close to the time, and you still laying there asleep, so I just came in there to wake you up. And that's what let me know in that, that, in that moment that what just had happened to me was not just an ordinary dream. I, I knew that something wasn't right about it. I knew that it was spiritual, but I didn't understand it yet. Thought about it all day while I was at work to the point that I needed it to make sense because it, it terrified me beyond anything that I had ever experienced. So at that moment, that's when I started Googling while I was on my lunch break trying to figure it out. What was that? I couldn't figure it out, but I remembered at one point in time as a teenager, one of my friends when I was about anywhere between 14 and 16 years old, I'd spend a night at her house one night. And she had told me years ago, have you ever had the witch to ride your back? And when she said that, I said, what? She said, has a witch ever rode your back? I said, I don't know what that is. She said, it's when you go to sleep at night and um, you're laying on your back and something is holding you down. You can't move. You can't scream. You can't get up. Um, but something is riding your back. And I, that's the end of that conversation, pretty much. I was like, no, I never heard of that. But that was the end of that conversation with her. We were teenagers then. This was like in my 20s when this incident first happened to me. So what I Googled at that time was, what is the witch riding your back? And when I Googled that, what came up was sleep paralysis, a night hag, old hag, um, nightmare. And I came to find out at that moment, and I researched it, and I found out that that was something that millions of people all over the world, different cultures, have had experiences with this thing that sits on your chest um, or it can drag you out of your bed. Some people have out-of-body experiences with these things. Um, some people are scratched during this. Some people deal with the succubus or the incubus spirit when it comes to sleep paralysis. Those spirits are the ones that basically come in. If you're a man, they deal with the succubus. It's like, I guess what you would call like a female demon that comes in and seduces or has sex with men and the incubus would do that with women. And sometimes it can be either or. So wow. that's how I found out what sleep paralysis was. And that was my first experiences with sleep paralysis. And there were many more to come after that. By this time in your life, when you were much younger, you saw a UFO hovering over a house and there were other witnesses. And that leads to a place where you're having this profound experience with sleep paralysis and that also, you know, you, you might be in tune to something supernatural, essentially, or you, are, you have an instinct or some kind of sight 
where you are now in tune with these things. And as life is going forward, uh, and you know, the, the nucleus of topic for this episode is that that dogman or werewolf encounter that led to that. And so between the time you started having the sleep paralysis experience and that you instinctively knew that it was some kind of heavy presence, how did that lead to the point where, and you can take me to the very beginning of this, to the point where you actually saw these things approaching you? Because I do believe they're related. In other words, you're in tune with some other place. And a lot of people are. I think most people that have these experiences are sensitive to whether it be other dimensions, wherever these things are coming from. That's why these people are seeing it. You happen to be one of them. So from the time you had these sleep paralysis experiences, how much time elapsed? And, and if you can bring me to the very beginning of the moment that you saw and had this werewolf encounter, I, I want to hear every detail if, if that's okay with you. So after the second sleep paralysis incident, and I'm going to say that that was somewhere around 2003, 2004. I can't remember because it, they were so sporadic at that point after the first two. didn't have another sleep paralysis incident until, I'm going to say, a few years, several years later. But leading up to that time, I started researching Dogman, Bigfoot, um, watching videos on Bigfoot more so because I don't think at that point, let me rephrase that. I wasn't researching Dogman yet because I didn't know about Dogman until around 2008. I was watching Bigfoot videos, and you know how YouTube will show you um, suggested videos that are related to what you're already watching. And um, watching Bigfoot videos, and one day there's videos on there about Dogman, and I think even though I had heard about Dogman before on Monster Quest, I don't think at that point that I put the two together because it had been so long that I'd heard about it that I really didn't think much about it. I just kind of laughed it off. And I said, let me click on this and watch this video and see what they're talking about. So when I clicked on that video to watch it, uh, got hooked on it, was watching and listening, hearing more and more encounters. I'm going to say around this point is probably about 2008 um, when I first started watching the videos. And I'd have to go back and check his channel to see exactly when he started that show because I started watching it when he had, like, he was in the first 10 episodes or 15, 20 episodes in. <clears throat> started watching and the more episodes I listened even though I originally kind of laughed it off the more I listened the more interested I got the more hooked I got or addicted I got into watching those episodes and listening even though I believed the people that were telling their encounters and experiences with dog man I still never thought that that was something that one day I would see so I watched these shows his show uh, Big Condit it was um, Dark Water Show um Brenton saw and then you know the, as the years went by I watched hundreds of shows at that point until 2013 when I had my first experience with the dog man and like I said before I never thought that at any point that one day I would see one at the time and still to this day like my ex-husband which I was still married in 2013 so my ex-husband would go hunting during hunting season and sometimes he might be going hunting for three or four days and be going all day, going all weekend, three or four days. And so instead of just staying at home and spending the weekend at home, just me and my little dog at the house, 
I took those opportunities to go and spend with my parents. And so I'd spend the weekend two or three days spending the night over their house, spending the weekend with them. And so just like any other weekend, I show up over there uh, on a Friday night. I think it might have been around 8 o'clock at night. Um, and I, I was, I don't know why, but I just know it was around 8 o'clock at night. It was like 8.13. And <clears throat> my parents lived on a cul-de-sac. So they live on a dead end of that neighborhood where they lived at at the time. They had a three-car, I'm not going to call it garage, it's a carport, um, a lattice carport. So it's covered on the top and sides, but the back side of it is open, so it's not a closed garage. And then they had an extended driveway off to the right of that, which was not covered. My father always had his pickup truck parked off to the far right side. and their other two vehicles will be parked underneath the carport. So whenever I got over there, like to visit them, I always had to park on the street, like at the end of the driveway, like next to this um, oak tree. So most times when I would pull up over there, I would just get out of the car, you know, get out, go to the back passenger seat or the back seat behind me, wherever I've got the um, suitcase. And I would get that out of the back seat and just kind of, roll it up the hill because their driveway was at an incline. I would roll it up the hill. If I had to come back out, if I had extra stuff in the car, because I would always bring my makeup box. I always had a ton of stuff whenever I would go over there, even though I'm just going to be there for a couple of days because I never knew if I was going to be going out or doing something with friends or going extra places. So I would have a hundred things with me when I went over there. So on this night, it wasn't like unlike any other night that I would go over there to visit. Same routine, park up next to that tree, get out. But this night, for whatever reason, I don't know to say if divine in intervention was taking place or what, but I didn't get out of the car right away. I remained in the car. Um, for whatever reason, I didn't cut the car off immediately as soon as I parked, which that's normally what I would do is put it in park and then, you know, get out. But that night, I didn't do that. The headlights are still on. I'm in park. I decided on this night to gather my makeup box, my purse, and everything else that was in the front with me, grab it off the passenger seat and off the floor on the passenger side. That way, when I got out of the car, all I'd have to do is just get out and just grab my suitcase from the back. That way, I could spend the least amount of outside of the car as possible because it's dark. And at this point, since I've listened to so many dog encounters, somewhere in my subconscious mind, I guess maybe I was somewhat fearful kind of scared or alert, more alert or worried. Not so much worried because I don't really even think I'm getting ready to see one, but still, it's just still at the back of my mind because the back of their house um, leads into the woods. There's a trail that leads into the woods back there. It's heavily wooded behind the house. So this night I was scared. I, or not really scared, but just I didn't get out. I didn't do what I normally do. And like I said, that's why I said maybe divine intervention. But I gathered everything I needed. I gathered my purse. I gathered my makeup box. And I was going to get ready to get out of the car. But you know how, like, since you're already parked and you're facing straight ahead, I look up. And when I looked up, I looked straight ahead. And I paused for a second. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I know that's not what I think it is. So in order to make sure that my mind weren't playing, wasn't playing tricks on me, at that point, the next thing I did was to put my high beams on. And I put my high beams on, my worst fears were confirmed. I'm looking at a dog man right now.
messages. We'll be right back. There are those who say that this quiet town holds many secrets. Legend has it that beneath this very tower, a dark force had its eyes set on the children. We were told that what was going on there was for the benefit of humanity. What would you say to the people who say, well, all these children were kidnapped and murdered and you were a part of it, what would you tell them? I did approve of it, but there was nothing I could do about it. They wanted a large number of programmed boys to be used for mind control operations. And there are others who say it's still happening to this day. I don't know, I for myself find it a little suspicious that all the evidence has been conveniently destroyed. Let's put it this way. If you're sitting there with 20 guns pointed at you, what are you going to do? Whatever the hell they want! Watch Montauk Chronicles now for free on Tubi, Plex, Roku, and available for download on Amazon and Apple TV. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine. Describe it in detail. Yes. So when I realized that when I when I thought my mom was playing tricks on me, it was because for one, the car that I drive is a 2008 Cadillac CTS, and the headlights are not the best headlights to begin with. They're very dim. So if you're on a dark road or it's dark, it's not well lit area. In order for you to have decent enough light to really see driving down a, a, a road that doesn't isn't well lit, you have to turn on the high beams. And I'm not driving, but the back side of the house or where I was parked at is completely dark. Put the high beams on. It's got its back to me originally. I'm seeing something. A dog man standing at eight and a half, nine feet tall. It's got its back to me when I put the high beams on it. When I say my worst fears are confirmed. Is that I'm looking at a dog man that's jet black. It's blacker than the darkness. It's got its back to me, standing at eight and a half, nine feet tall. And I put the high beams on it and turned around to face the car. When it turned around to face the car, I feel that it turned around to face me at that point was because I feel that it had been standing there all that time while I was gathering my things inside of the car. But I feel that since the lights were dim, I feel like that it. And I, I can't say because I can't really speak for the dog man, but I feel that what was happening was is that it probably felt if I stand here long enough and just be still, 
they won't see me, whoever it is. It had its back to me, so it didn't know who had the lights on it. But when I turned the high beams on, it's basically like putting a floodlight on it. I spotlighted it. And when it turned to face me, I felt like it turned to face me because it's like I don't have any other choice. But I know for a fact this person can see me now. Whoever's back there can see me. So I've got to turn around. It turned around, faced me, looked at me. And a regular dog or a regular animal is going to look at the car. You know, like a coyote or something like that. They might look at the car, but they don't have the wherewithal to know. Look into the um, windshield. Look into the driver's seat and make eye contact with you. They don't. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. I do. You know, animals are skittish and usually scared. Sometimes they run in front of vehicles, obviously. In this case, though, how tall was this thing? Just to get an idea. Eight and a half to nine feet tall. Okay. So it was walking upright and it seemed conscious, almost like a human. You know, um, and again, there's a lot more to this, but. Yes, it was standing on two feet. Uh, okay. from, from the time I saw it with its back to me to the time it turned around, it was never on all fours. When it turned to face me after I put the high beams on it, it looked straight into the windshield and straight into my eyes and made eye contact with me. And I remember at this time, like the tears started rolling down my face because I, at this moment in my head, I'm like, oh, shit, like you're actually seeing a dog, man, right now, for real. Like you're actually seeing this in real time. And then I started to think to myself, and I, and I always say this, but I didn't write it down at the time. But I don't remember if I said this out loud or if I said this in my head. But what I did say either way was, please, God, don't let that thing walk over here because this will be one of those times that the automatic car doors won't work, didn't lock. Because sometimes I would pull up at home when I would get off from work and my husband would walk out to the car. And he'd bring my dog out to me because she was always aware when I'd pull up in the driveway. So when that happened, when I said that, either out loud or in my head, it's like I got a response back from the thing, like it spoke back to my thought or whatever I said out loud. I just don't remember either way, but I know what I said. It said, oh, it's just you, no big deal. Like it, at that moment when it said, oh, it's just you, no big deal. I didn't think about it until later on after assessing the whole situation after it was over with. Uh, so you, you felt you were having some kind of telepathic yes. message that was coming from this thing. Now, were you were you scared? Because, you know, I grew up watching werewolf movies and, you know, American Werewolf in London instilled fear in me if these things were ever real. And when I was a little kid and I saw that movie, I believed they were real because, you know, you're, you're living in a very enchanted place when you're a kid. But then you actually see this thing as an adult. Were you worried that this thing was going to attack you? Um, it never walked forward, never approached. It never approached, so I didn't have time to worry about that. When it said, oh, it's just you, no big deal, it stood there. We had eye contact anywhere from 8 to 10 seconds. And it had these really beautiful blue luminescent eyes most encounters that i've heard they had amber eyes and they had that um german shepherd type head anubis looking black german shepherd black wolf type head elongated ears elongated snout this one had the body it had the head of a rottweiler or pit bull type broad head with a short snout it had the crop style ears 
it had um, these brilliant blue luminescent eyes that glow that glowed from within. Like when I say blue, the blue was like the color of the beautiful blue ocean, turquoise blue ocean. You know what I'm talking about? It had that color of eyes, but luminescent, yes. glowing from within. It had nothing to do with eye shine from the lights because my Cadillac, the car, the headlights shine kind of low. Of course, they flare out a bit, but it would have been probably at its stomach or waist area. It wasn't, shine, it wasn't shining in its eyes. The eyes glowed on their own. Now, as far as fear, yeah, I was fearful. I didn't feel, after it said, oh, it's just you, no big deal. It realized at that moment, I didn't think about this till later, after assessing the situation. But for whatever reason, it was aware of me. It knew who I was at that point. It felt like, based on what I heard in my head, that telepathic or the mind speak, as people call it, encrypted community. I felt that at that moment, what was going on with that dog man was that it realized that I was no threat and knew who I was. It seen me before, and it wasn't worried about it going on and at that point it's like business as usual the dog man turned and casually turned his back and continued to walk on to where i feel like it was the original path where i caught it where it was getting ready to probably walk down that path deeper into the woods when i pulled up but it stopped i think i think i caught it by accident i think it probably just come down out of the tree so beyond so okay so a lot of the stories in the in fiction and in movies and everything and literature, you know, and there are, and it varies, but these things are seen as like these demonic, vicious creatures. In this case, it's almost like, you know, it's a conscious, intelligent being that you were able to see that perhaps not everybody can see. Do you see it that way? Is it that um, you know, maybe there's a select group of people that can perceive these things and every now and then somebody else catches them because these stories have been throughout history and around the world that people have seen these things. And there's there's a variety. Some of the cases, they're vicious and killing people. You know, A Strange and Terrible Wonder, which was a true account of a giant devil dog attacking a church, um, you know, way back in uh, 15th, 15th century. And... Uh, so these things have happened. In this case, you didn't feel like there was a sudden danger. You were just more in awe of what you were seeing, and you felt like this thing was communicating with you telepathically. Mm-hmm. Okay. And at that moment, so you you were scared, but you weren't terrified that this thing was going to kill you. No, I wasn't um, afraid that it was going to kill me, not at that moment, because... Um, once it stood there and just made eye contact with me and it turned to face me and it saw who I was and it said, it's just, you know, big deal. What that meant to me was that this thing that seen me before, for whatever reason, it realized that I wasn't a threat. Whether, like I said, they moved in that house in 1985. So was this thing there all those years? Did it see me grow up? Did it see me out there playing um, as a kid? Did it just come up later on? During the years as in my adulthood and see me when I'd be outside smoking. It's but either way, however long it had been there, it knew who I was. It was aware of me. And for whatever reason, it wasn't worried about me. It knew that I wasn't a threat. And so it didn't feel like it needed to come at me aggressively. It wasn't worried at that point. The thing continued to walk on down that trail as and it never went down on all fours, like, okay, well, I don't even need to hide. 
I'm not even worried. It's just you. And at that point, it kept walking. The upper body, so the head was like a Rottweiler pit bull head, crop style, ears, short snout, luminescent blue eyes, upper body of a bodybuilder. It has the long, elongated arms. It had the pecs. It had the abs. It had the hot style legs. Um, it was very muscular. I don't know how to explain it as far as to say how many, how how much it may have weighed. If I had to guess, I'd probably say 350 to 400 pounds solid muscle. Um, and I also like to say, like, and I know it sounds crazy, but I say it was a beautiful specimen of a dog man. Gorgeous, uh, shiny coat. Beautiful. I didn't feel in, like it was going to come to me aggressively, but I had already been thinking as I was sitting there in the car that if this thing does approach, then the best thing for me to do in that moment is to bear down on the horn and just continue to blow because at some point either the neighbors are going to come out or my parents are going to um, open their door and come out. But I was going to lay on that horn until somebody came out because even though the car was still running, I'm in a cul-de-sac, so even trying to get away with it from the speed that I've heard many people uh, talk about how fast these things can run, then trying to bag out of, back up to like leave out of there. It was no driving forward because I'm at the dead end. So trying to drive forward to get away from it, that wouldn't have been a possibility if it had come towards me, unless I'm going to try to hit it. But even with that, it's huge. You know what kind of damage you're you can get to your car if you hit a deer. Just imagine hitting something that big, that bulky, that muscular. So my best thing to have done in that moment, if it did come at me aggressively, would have been blow on the horn in order to get somebody to come out of the house and stay on it. My parents weren't asleep. They were up inside the house. But I just think that it had seen me before. But it let me know um, in that moment that it meant me no harm. I don't know if it just wasn't hungry or whatever, but I understood that it knew who I was. Um, I, and then also to answer your question, yeah, I do feel that some people are more in tune with their surroundings. Some people have a gift where they can see different things. Do I believe that Dogman big, um, and Bigfoot are spiritual entities, or do I feel like they're spiritual entities? Uh, my thoughts on that. I have several different theories on it i think that some of them because i've heard people say that they have killed them before i've heard several different counter encounter stories on that they've been killed the body's been taken away by some secret agencies whoever they are that come and pick up these bodies whenever they show up so i know that that's happened before then i know that there's encounters and i've seen with my own eyes before because i've taken several videos and pictures of these uh, things over the years to the point where I've seen them do what I like to call the predator effect. If you've ever seen the movie Predator, it kind of looks like a mirage or um, I don't even know how to call it, like a mirage. Or like you can, It's clear, but you can see still the outline of the background through it. Sometimes you can see them like a mist or I would call that like a force field or a fog that they will use to cloak themselves. Sometimes they're able to blend in with their surroundings in a camouflage type way where they're able to blend in with the tree or the leaves, the wood, like the bark of the tree or the leaves. Sometimes they might look green, but... What do you think these things are? You know, because it seems, mm -hmm. you know, it, 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 it definitely challenges reality. 
And I've, I've heard a lot of this in regard to um, ideas of cryptids, things that are walking around the jungles or the wilderness, um, that they are interdimensional. Do you believe that? Yeah, I think that they're interdimensional. Um, I think that they're interdimensional. Um, my theory, I uh, believe they're Nephilim, um, which is part angel, a fallen angel, part animal, part human DNA. Um, I know that Bubba Ketchum studies, she felt that they were part animal, part human, and part unknown. That unknown part, I would say, would be interdimensional or alien, which some would say alien or archon or fallen angel. I believe that there's something there with that. They are able to appear and disappear at will. They are, some of them are able to cloak. They are able to do um, certain feats that natural animals cannot do. Um, that the speed that they have, they've been clocked at speeds of up to 65, 70 miles per hour. Um, able to keep pace with cars and stuff like that. They're able to uh, sometimes manifest in people's homes. Sometimes you can be recording or looking at them with your own naked eye and you can see half of the body, but not the other part of the, their body. So for me, uh, with that, those aspects of them, even the fact that they can sometimes be completely invisible and even be able to rationalize like or have a thought to able actually be able to pace somebody in the woods as they're walking. When you stop, they stop. When you run, they run. Like, natural animals don't do that there's so many different things with it like they're able to um it's just so many different things with it i feel like that they are more than just a natural animal i will definitely say that we don't know for sure the whole flesh and blood only theory doesn't work for me for the simple fact that yeah i do understand and i do believe that they some of there's okay let me put it like to you like this I do feel like there's a possibility that there's some that are flesh and blood only. The ones that can be killed, the ones that have offspring, that have pups, um, that eat and drink and all that kind of stuff. But I also feel that there's types that are flesh and blood and supernatural at the same time. Meaning they are flesh and blood, but they're also able to cloak, also able to do the predator effect um also able to manifest in your homes or in your bedrooms or in your dreams and stuff like that um able to disappear and appear able to jump 30 or 40 50 feet in the air from a standing position um able to open car doors which and, and i'm not going to say i never heard people say the bears have been able to open up car doors and open up doors to come to people's houses so i understand that there's that possibility too but the fact that sometimes you'll see their footprints, the same with Sasquatches or Bigfoot, you can see their footprints in the middle of an open field or an open um, wilderness. There's no trees or anything like that for them to jump up into, and the footprints would just be going, and then out of nowhere, the footprints disappear. So did they fly away? Did they, did they levitate? What happened to them? Did they go back into another dimension or portal? So those are the things that make it difficult when it comes to Bigfoot and Dogman to actually assess and say what they are for sure so that's why there's so many different thoughts and trains of belief what these things are because they defy logic when it comes to a natural animal 
or what we know of natural animals. So it's kind of hard to say. Some people believe that they've been here since ancient times. I believe that. I do think they've been here since ancient ancient times. I think that what we think of as Greek mythology and ancient mythology, like back to Egypt when it came to Horus and Anubis, or the um, we have ones that are the owl head god, or the one that had the hog head, or Anubis having a head of a dog and body of a man, or you have like Greek mythology where it comes to the centaur, which is half man, half horse, the the satyr, which is a half man, half goat, and the bull. I think what was that? The minotaur. So you got these different creatures, and then you got the apocrypha. Some of the books that were taken out of the Bible, like the Book of Jasher. It goes into something that had like the head of a man, at the head of the um, animal and the body of a man. It had actually taken a young sheep or lamb into a mountains or whatever. And that when it was taken into those mountains, this, this shepherd was actually going to look for that lost sheep. And he rolled the stone back and he found this beast inside of the, inside of the rock, inside of the stone in this mountain, actually feeding on his livestock. So there's different stories of these things. These things have just have basically, I think, existed for thousands of years. And I feel like people depicted these things because these are the things that they saw at those times. So it's just really hard to say. You know, some people feel like they're creations from um, laboratories where the scientists or whatever in these laboratories are creating hybrid type creatures. With different sure, and, and and all of the above is possible. All of the above is possible, but. You know, these things have occurred throughout history, and some of them, like I said, the one, the story of a strange and terrible wonder where this devil dog attacked a church and killed a couple of people. Um, there's a bunch of those types of stories that, that lend to the traditional werewolf story. And then there's a variety, you know, there, there were murderous creatures out there, like um, the Bauman story that Theodore Roosevelt told. You know, that, that's a case of uh, whatever it was, murdered a man. And um, some of these are credible and believable. At the very least, you should take into consideration that there's more out there. Um, there's more to this world that, uh, that, than we know. But in this case, this completely defies reality. You know, whereas we could believe in some elusive creatures out there that have been really conscious about hiding from us. And a lot of people, believe it or not, don't really spend a lot of time, most people don't, into the deep wilderness. So it's a, still a great place to hide. There's, it's still a huge mystery if you are something that wants to hide. But um, in this case, this defies all uh, normal physical reality. And for a lot of people, they have a hard time wrapping their head around it. However, you know, even in recent news, there is confirmation from, you know, the governments and news stations also saying, hey, there are things that completely defy physical reality as we know it, and we're confirming they exist. So, you know, for the, for the group of people out there that are so skeptic, and then they hear something like this, and they're like, oh, this isn't true. It's like, well, it's not true for you, because you all you do is spend time around you know, an artificial environment, a home, a business, a city. But in this case, you know, sometimes these things have leaked into our reality and at least the story should be taken into consideration. Do you feel, <clears throat> well, I guess my question is, what do you think 
and, and it's hard to really articulate for the most part, but what do you think essentially our reality is? I think that our reality, I think we're living in, for lack of a better word, a matrix. I believe that things are not always what they seem. I think there's more things in this world that we deal with and that is out there either in the spiritual realm or there's other dimensions that are right alongside of ours that not all of us can see or not all of us are aware of, but that goes right alongside of our dimension. But I do think that there are some people who are able to see into these other dimensions and are able to go into these things. There's different cases in the, um, some of the stories that you've heard out of Missing 411, cases where people have gone missing or people are out there tracking and looking for them. One story I heard I was missing, 411, they were looking for this guy, and I can't remember his name right now, but they were looking for him, his family, and then you had all these different um, people who were out there searching for him. They were calling out to him, and as they were calling out to this man, they could hear him, and it sounded like he just should have been just like a few feet away on the other side of the tree. But they were calling out to him, they could hear him, and it sounded like they should have just been able to walk right over to him. But as they continued to talk to him, it, this went on for like, couple of days to the point where his voice seemed like it was further and further away and I watched an episode of um, it comes on Netflix Stranger Things and there was an episode there where a girl was um, she was she ended up in going into this portal within a tree and there was this cryptic looking type entity and this is either on season one episode one or two where she was able to go into that but her boyfriend found her within that tree and was able to pull her out of that before that portal closed and i've heard people on some of these encounter shows talk about the fact they were able to go into this portal and then able to come back out before it closed or there's a truck driver on missing 411 um somebody who's on missing 411 this is another episode and i'll have to look it up and get back to you on it later but Another guy who went hiking and he ended up several hundred or several thousand miles away in a whole nother state. And they found him and he had been missing for several days. And when he was missing, he didn't remember how he got there. He didn't have any food in his stomach. There's so many stories on this. There's stories where you've got kids that were missing. And they said a big bear. Or a hairy man took care of them and fed them berries. While they were out there, they had like a little bit of food or berries in their stomach because they were dehydrated, but they lived and they survived to tell about it. And so when you think about these things, is Bigfoot or Dogman evil? Can't say that. I don't know. I, I don't, I can't say that all of them are evil. Um, and I can't say that all of them are bad. There's been t several stories where they've helped people or where people have helped them. There's been forest fires that have happened. And some of these stories are supposed to be hush hush, where the firemen have actually talked about when some of these forest fires happened. They actually had to basically um, take the. In one story, I heard that they had to take a Bigfoot to like a vet and like doctor it up and work on it. It's just different things that's out there. So it's really hard to say what these things are because they're, they're so hush hush about it. They don't want you to know about it. Same thing within the alien UFO. Um, cover-up with the government where here lately they finally admitted that ufos and aliens exist now whatever the cover-up the reason for this we don't know why this why they're covering it up i don't know why that is 
But what a lot of people don't realize is that the state of Washington, so Washington State and New York State actually have it in their laws that it's illegal to kill a Bigfoot. Why would they put that in their laws if that's something that doesn't exist? They're making sure that they cover themselves just in case somebody does. They already know that these things exist. Who do you think these agencies are? We don't know who they are. They never want to tell people who they are when they come. They don't have to answer the thing. Whenever law enforcement shows up on the scene, they are forced to leave. They're afraid because they're told you have to leave. We're going to take over the situation from here. There's a lot of cases like that. The people who are eyewitnesses who have been, either been attacked by one of these creatures who have killed one, they're told you saw a bear or this was a dog attack and they are told or threatened it. Plenty of these people come out with these stories and they tell it. And when they tell it, they basically explain we don't know who they were. We don't know who these people are. They show credentials. And a lot of the times you've got to question and wonder how are these people able to show up in some of these cases when they were never called? Are they tagging these creatures? There's a lot of different things when it comes to this. There's a cover-up. We probably won't find out for another 30, 40, 50 years until they finally get ready to admit that these things happen. There's people right now that are park rangers or DNR, fish and game, people who come out and actually talk about these things and that they know that these things are in these parks and national forests. So when it comes to that, there's a protocol for it, I believe where they know that if these stories come through, if this happens, why do you think that in some of these national parks and stuff like that, they have signs not to go off trail or that there's been sightings of these creatures in this area? They have to put it out there because maybe those stories are so great. There's so many of them that they have to put a warning out there for it. But just for me, the very fact alone that there's actually laws in a couple of these states that have it, that they actually exist and it's illegal to kill one or even... Was it a senator in Oklahoma a few years ago that had put it out there that um, they were going to have a Bigfoot hunting season? There's something else to this, more than what we think, more than what we know. So, you don't, you know, one of the questions I was going to ask you was that in our lifetime, do you think we will see some of these things come to the surface? I mean, it's for whatever reason. Something did happen recently that a lot of people thought would never happen is that the the governments of the world are, especially the U.S. government, they've always laughed at the situation of extraterrestrials and aliens, and obviously because they were hiding it from us all this time. So now they're saying, hey, uh, it's real. They've said it. So what about the other stuff, the other stuff that people have seen over time that most likely with their technology and their resources, they also know these things are real and that they most likely were. Because the thing that really makes sense to me with all of the people that have been looking for these things and hunting for these things, essentially, they haven't been able to find a specimen. They ha- Whatever it, they are, meaning the, the cryptids, they must be protected somehow. Um, it's either that or they are very, um, they're very cunning and easily in and out of some either dimensional gateway or they have a great sense and they know when we're coming, uh, when we're entering their domain and they can easily hide from us. One of those three things. But I think that the governments of the world know about these odd beings and they don't really know what to do with them. I don't think they're going to exterminate them. And, um, you know, I'm just thinking about what makes sense because it, 
all of the things that have happened recently are starting to defy any kind of reality we've made for ourselves. Um, and it's as if fiction is completely merged with our reality. It's like the twilight zone. You know, we live, we're living in it right now. You had that dog man encounter. Okay. Were there any after that? Yes. So after that day, that's the first uh, encounter. Um, I don't know how much time it passed because it's been so long now from 2013 to now, over 10 years, that when I thought about it after that first encounter, I realized that point. When you see one, you've got to know that there's more. It's not the only one back there. There's more of them. Um, because it, that thing got here some type of way, unless it came from some other state and just happened here. It's got to have more of those same creatures. There's got to be other ones back there, too. So after that day, I started to take pictures on a regular basis. I started to record video on a regular basis. Um, I, like I said, I would go over there every weekend to visit my parents. So after that day, I started recording and taking pictures because a lot of people don't realize that when it comes to Bigfoot and Dogman, you know, people say, well, I've been a hunter all my life, or I've been a woodsman all my life, back out in the woods, camping, fishing, hunting, different things. And you would think that if I've been there all this time that I, I would have seen one. But what people don't, what people fail to realize is that these things are masters of disguise. And some of them, a lot of the times in those cases, those hunters are out there. They're right there, too. They're right there with you. You didn't recognize it because they're so able to blend in with the trees and the branches and their surroundings and then sometimes they're also in the trees we've got a lot of pictures that have been shared in groups and online where they're in the trees behind the trees behind the tall grass they're always hiding behind that so when you don't see them for a hunter well a lot of times if you're a hunter you're deer hunting if you're out there deer hunting you're on the ground or you might even be in a tree stand you're not looking higher up in the trees or in the trees, period, because you're hunting something that's on the ground. You're not aware of your surroundings, so you're not paying attention. You're aware of your surroundings on the ground. But a lot of the time, these things are right there with you. Some of them are in the trees. There's plenty of stories where they've come out for encounters, and people have told their encounters where these things are in the trees or drop down out of the trees or whatever the reason. So I just think that um, it's so much to it. When it comes to these creatures, I think that people are just not paying attention. They're not looking. And some people just don't know. They're not even aware. I haven't heard about it. Some people are not into Bigfoot or Dogman. They kind of blow it off or they've heard about it, Bigfoot, Dogman. But it's like, okay, well, that's just hocus pocus. It's just it's BS. They don't believe it until they actually have an experience and they see one of these things. And I think, again, that's why it's a disservice to not let people know that these things are out there. You have people who go out into the woods that are uh, enthusiasts of Bigfoot and Dogman. They feel like that you shouldn't go out there armed at all because they know your intentions. What I think, my thoughts on that are the fact that don't go out there unarmed because regardless of Bigfoot or Dogman, there's still natural predators out there. There's still wolves, natural animals, still coyotes. There's still dogs out there. I mean, not dogs, but bears. And mountain lions and other stuff like that that can still harm you. If these things know your intention, 
you're out there hunting, deer hunting, or anything else, or just out there to have your gun with you for protection, then you're doing that to protect yourself against natural wildlife. If they know your intention, they would know that you're not out there to harm them. Heard a lot of people say they're able to mind speak and tell them, put that gun down. If you shoot, I'll kill you. So it's just so many different things. I think that it's going to take several years. It's going to take some major incident to happen where it's irrefutable to where they cannot deny it for them to come forth and actually admit that these creatures exist, though. I don't know what that's going to take. Some people think if you just bring in a body, and that's going to prove it. You're not going to bring in a body because, first of all, if you call DNR, then they're not going to be the ones that's going to deal with the body. They know, and I'm this is just my theory on it, but it's been proven right now, like in several cases, they have to call somebody else too. And whoever those people are that they call to come in, they take over the whole thing. They come and they take those bodies away, whether they're taking them to some underground unknown facility or whatever they're doing with those bodies, somebody else comes to pick it up. So when if you kill one and they come and pick it up, they're going to also take you in for questioning. And they're going to try to change your mindset. No, you didn't see that. They're going to threaten you to the point, like, to the fact that you can lose your job. That's been said on several different shows where people have been threatened by these people. Well, they don't know who they are. They have had people to sit outside of their house in unmarked SUVs and cars and stuff like that, watching over them, threatened. So you're not going to bring in a body. And if it did, if you were able to actually bring in a body or take a body straight to a news station, or whatever the case may be, then that's going to, even if it went public and it was able to make the news, or even if you recorded that video and put it out there live on Facebook or YouTube or whatever else, then they're going to say that that was a stage prop for some movie, or that is a costume, or whatever they say, but it's not going to come out until they're ready for that information to be put out. You know, we live in a very mysterious world, as you know, as you've encountered, and I suspect you're going to continue to have experiences throughout the rest of your life. And um, a similar thing that I ask, or the same thing that I ask every guest at the end of a conversation is, and I do believe that you believe your spirit goes on after physical death. So if you were able to take something with you, what would you take with you after this physical life ends? You mean something physical that I could take with me? It could. Well, it, there's no right or wrong answer to this. It's it's. This is kind of like um, a window into your your soul or the way you're thinking. Hmm. I think the only thing that I would take with me from this world into the next would be the questions that I have right now as a human being in flesh and blood and not as not a what do you what do you call it? I'm trying to think of the right word to call this. I'm not a disembodied spirit yet. Disembodied would be if your spirit leaves your body after you're dead. So I would want to take the same mindset, the same questions that I have right now won't I would want to take that with me into the next realm as a spirit to be able to ask those questions of that higher power who has that all-knowing knowledge of what it really is or an understanding of who we are 
what was our purpose here? What are those things? What is the purpose of those things? Why is it? Why was it put upon me in this lifetime to research these things and try to have a deeper understanding of where they are? Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and I want to thank you for joining the conversation tonight. Our world is certainly an uncharted landscape where mystery thrives in the shadows and under the light of the full moon. Are werewolves real? I hope I never run into one to find out the answer. Until next time, try to enjoy the daylight.